Hello, world. I am delighted to have my next guest on the Flex. She is the co-founder of Mechanica, former design director at Mullen Lowe Group. She's a lecturer. She's an author. She's an activist, beekeeper, pilot, free-range parent. Libya, I feel like we could redo that Dos Equis commercial with the most interesting man and make you the star. Oh, that. my goodness. What do you think about that? Well, um, I mean, Dos Equis is great, so um, that wouldn't be so bad, but... <laughs> <laughs> Your list of accomplishments and hobbies are just amazing. It's fantastic. Uh, good for you. Well, I guess the real truth in all of that is all of that it fuels curiosity. It's it, it's sort of embedded in my bones, I guess, uh, otherwise mm-hmm. expressed as wanderlust. <laughs> I like to try out a lot yeah. of things. So, In terms of wanderlust, I worked out this morning and I went on a two-mile walk. And I say that because you have a hashtag on Instagram called This Morning Walk. And you try or you have walked eight miles for the last how many years? I started about nine years ago. And it really was a moment where I recognized that my days had been consumed by to-do lists, errands, meetings, conference calls. And not that any of that was terrible. It was actually all, it's all very wonderful. It's part of an active life. That being said, what I came to realize was that part of the essential nature of who I am, I had, had forgotten. I had sort of left behind. And what I recognized was I really needed to be outside for a chunk of the day, not just walking from my car to the office front steps, but really be outside. It's uh, something that was essential for me growing up. It provides all sorts of information and nourishment for me. And so I just decided, sort of honestly, sort of on a whim, that I would commit to doing a walk in the morning with with no expectation. It wasn't about speed or mileage or anything like that. It was really just to get back outside and to consciously do that. And I'm sort of a big believer that you don't find time for things that matter. You actually make time. And so I just sort of said for, you know, for 30 days, I was going to go for a really simple morning walk every single day. And it turned out that uh, 30 days has turned into nine years. And just sort of honestly, just curiosity captured my attention about a year and a half ago. I thought, gosh, I wonder how many miles I've walked and did a quick little math and realized that basically around the 1st of uh, January 1st, 2020, I would have walked 25,000 miles, which is actually the circumference of the earth. Uh, roughly the circumference of the that earth. That is amazing. Um, well, it, it is only, I mean, the mileage isn't amazing. There's probably many runners who've done it. I have many, yeah. many friends who, you know, have been doing this practice well before I even dialed into it. But um, mm. yeah, here I am. I think the thing that's really helpful is to, you know, I just said I'm going to do it every day regardless. So there was none of that morning like, oh, my gosh, I don't feel like it or it's too cold. <laughs> yeah. So and the Instagram piece of it was, it was sort of when Instagram was coming out and because I'm in marketing, I had this really sort of gut response that I, I needed to learn and be really intimately familiar with a lot of the social tools. As you can imagine, 10 years ago, they were all sort of just coming into being. And so my, you know, my way of doing that is to not read articles about TikTok and Snapchat mm-hmm. and Instagram is to actually do it. So I 
you know, as an art director, designer, the visual world is where I sort of felt most comfortable. So part of my morning morning walk practice was actually to take a picture every single day and post it. I, I really honestly still, I don't mean to say I don't care who's following or who's looking at it. Mm-hmm. The intention really was to hold, it's kind of just, it's to hold me honest. It was a receipt, a receipt to say, yeah, you did it. You committed to it. And the thing that that's been really wonderful is actually to kind of see the uh, migration, the the miles walked, and the things I've learned, and the places I've seen. So it's actually been a really nice sort of travel log. You've inspired me. I'm following your Instagram. I'm gonna. I may use that hashtag here and there. I don't want to. Please do add too much to it. It's already in a good place. I have a couple of questions. So when you walk. Do you listen to music? When I walked the two miles this morning, I had so many thoughts. So I didn't play music. I had so many thoughts in my mind about it was very existential. Yes. How are we surviving in this pandemic? Why am I here? It was a beautiful thing. So my first question is, do you listen to music? And if you do, do you have a certain genre of music? And B, what if you miss a day? So that it's it's an incredible thing that you've been doing, but you're also putting a lot of pressure on doing it. And if you miss a day, it could be for an injury or something, that might be devastating for you, right? Uh, well, both great questions. So to answer the first part of the question, um, I would say 50-50, I'm listening to something as I walk, uh, podcast, music. Listen, I at times have listened to a lot of books because I'm out there for an hour to two. So, <laughs> it's, um, But I will say lately, I will say during this COVID time, just as you acknowledged, I haven't been listening to anything. I don't even take my earbuds with me. And prior to COVID, I, I, you know, I, there were times when I would listen to music, but really it is, not only is it about getting outside, but it's actually kind of creating the space to problem solve, to think things mm-hmm. through. And if I'm listening to music or a book on tape, I don't tend to dive as deeply into something. I will say it's a place to be creative. It's a place mm-hmm. to play with ideas. So it's a great question. I think that over the course of the nine years, I think it's been 50-50% mm. of the time that I'm listening to something. The other the other time, no, I really don't. I'm really just in my own body. <laughs> and so, and your question about would it be devastating if I didn't go? I would feel really off kilter if I didn't go. Mm. Now, pre-COVID, because of work, I travel a lot. So one could say, well, how do you do a morning walk if you're getting up at five and going to the airport? I have to say, I, I try not to be really judgmental or critical about the length or the place or the time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the literal truth is there is walking every single morning. Is it the same route every morning? No. Sometimes it's, fr- you know, I'll get off an airplane, I'll fly west, I'll get off the airplane in LA and wherever I land, I go for a walk. And I, I will say, Uh, There's something very intimate about landing in a new place. And the first thing you do is um, get to know the neighborhood in a more intimate way rather than, you know, hopping in a car and flying over all over the city. So uh, the truth of the matter is I've never missed a day. That is not to say that every single walk has been as intentional or eight miles for that matter. Um, On average, it's eight miles. But yeah, I I mean, I would feel, uh, yes, I would feel very off kilter and, honestly kind of pissed off if I if I <laughs> at the end of the day it's about you right, you're not, right. you're not proving something no. to someone else it, nope. 
whatever you think a walk is, that's what matters. It doesn't matter if you're on a podcast telling somebody that you've walked eight miles. That doesn't matter. No, it doesn't matter. Honestly, it's a moving meditation, right? Uh, mm-hmm. you, 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 you think about protesters, pilgrims, monks. They all, they all use walking as a form of you know, keeping the body movement while you think of things, process things. So you're right. The mileage doesn't matter. Yeah, it really is a much more uh, elemental act. <laughs> and you mentioned LAX. Uh, just FYI, when I land into LAX, my move is to either walk or get an Uber to the In-N-Out Burger. Oh, yeah, for, uh, which is right thing. next to the airport. It sure is. I know right where that is. <laughs> On Olympia. Yeah. yeah, I may have to add that into my repertoire. <laughs> That's going to be my hashtag. Yes. This morning burger. Um, yeah. I read somewhere that. When you were 13, you went on a a flight by yourself to Ireland. And just reading about you, you're very free-range oriented in terms of your child rearing and also your your own life. And just reading about it, it just it's such a a refreshing thing to see. Talk to us about were your parents very open or were they they could also have been very constrictive with you, which Mm -hmm. also could have led to you being very open. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, sure does. Uh, it's a great question. I I wonder why you say that's very refreshing. I'm curious about your why. Not yeah. everyone's like that. You know? yeah. not, not a lot of people use that type of living, yeah. which is kind of surprising to say. But yeah. yeah, no, I hear that. I as I mentioned, I guess I have this really insatiable wanderlust, and I think always have, and gratefully grew up with parents for whom the notion of living in the world, uh, the bigger world, not just my block at home, was part of who they were. Both feminists, mm-hmm. both very thoughtful. My mom, a teacher, my dad, an attorney, um, cerebral, intellectual. And so, yeah, I I hopped on a plane for three summers at around that age. uh, I was going to to school over there for the summer. And it was a really, it was a very profound experience in a number of ways. One was to be immersed in rural Ireland. I was in County Kildare. It was about three months every single summer, every summer for those summers. But I would have to say one of the most interesting things that came out of that summer was actually led me to graphic design, to be honest. Mm-hmm. So we would hop on the bus, we'd take the bus into Dublin. One of my favorite places to go was Trinity Church, which was right in the center of the city. In Trinity is something called the Book of Kells, which is a big, beautiful, just incredible document. And each day there would be a, a they would change the page. So each day they flip the page. And I remember, that sounds very esoteric, but I remember walking in there and looking at the typefaces and the gold leaf and the calligraphy and the letter forms. And to be perfectly honest, that's where I fell in love with typography. And Mm -hmm. I think it led me to become, it was a place where I decided to become a graphic designer. I don't think consciously. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I I guess that's also led (laughs) to sort of free range parenting (laughs) as well. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think um, obviously it was incredible, incredible privilege to do any of that. Really enjoyed where I grew up as well, but uh, it was an incredible opportunity. And all this free range talk is getting me really hungry because yeah, I, some, this is my ch- breakfast yeah. time and I'm thinking of chickens and eggs. I think you did. <laughs> so. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. That's on my mind. What school did you go to? What university? Interesting. I went to a liberal arts school here in the U.S. and studied philosophy, didn't study design at all, and graduated f- from college, then went on to, with my dearest best friend in the world, believe it or not, to cooking school. 
And we spent a year at cooking school in New York City at the New School of Social Research. What I uh, we were headed, to, you know, we were about to go open a restaurant actually out on the West Coast, and that didn't sort of materialize. But what did really sort of cement this notion of graphic design for me was I part of our cooking school was uh, the requirement to put together a business plan, and part of the business plan was of course designing and building a menu and you know all the financials. That my what I realized was I just love putting together that menu. There was nothing like it. Um, So my design school really is mostly self-taught. I did take some classes here in Boston, but I certainly don't have a degree. I think I just read every book I possibly could um, Mm -hmm. and would consume the pages of every single magazine. In many ways, uh, you know, I can't say that I am completely self-taught because I certainly did take Mm -hmm. plenty of classes, but I don't have a degree in design. And I have to add cook to your your long list of (laughs) accolades and uh, and hobbies not very good i mean studied what led you to co-found mechanica so was that a longer journey yeah so um i so you mentioned design director at mullen i was very fortunate Mm -hmm. that my first job was at mullen now mullen low i spent 15 years there gradually working my way to towards the end there to design director and boy was that an absolutely magical place to uh, start. I was surrounded by, I would argue, some of the best of the best writers, art directors, creative directors, Jim Mullen, who is just an uh, an incredible entrepreneur. And then after 15 years, some colleagues and I, uh, my two partners, co-partners in uh, at Mechanica decided that uh, why not? Let's give it a go. We were at that age where it seemed appropriate. And quite honestly, as I always say, it was not about leaving Mullen. Mullen was absolutely fabulous, is absolutely fabulous. It was just sort of a little bit of an appetite to sort of say, hey, could could we give it a go? And yeah, so it and 16 years later, Mechanica is still chugging along. So yeah, it's incredible. What's the origins of the name? I'm just curious. Uh, that- yeah, so so we would when we were talking about uh, putting together or sort of a branding firm, we would always talk about the mechanics of branding that, that that it's actually a machine, right? There's parts and pieces to building a brand. There's lots of elements that need to come together and work smoothly like a machine. And so we sort of started playing with this idea of machines and mechan- mechanics. And I guess as uh, one of the you know, female founder, I wanted it to end in an A, which often denotes feminine. So <laughs> we called it Mechanica. <laughs> so on episode 24 of the podcast, lovely human Gillian McLeod was on and she was mentioning about her starting modeling in her 50s and blowing up in her 60s. And she mentioned this powerhouse that liked to skydive and started a create agency. And, and little did I know she was talking about you, but I found that out later on. So shout out to Gillian. Oh, 100%. One of the iconic, you know, she's really changing an industry, which is really beautiful to see. And the industry, the industry of modeling is is much more heading towards, let's say, not there yet, but heading towards a, a much more beautiful representation of the world. And she is... Uh, 
at the forefront of that. She's absolutely epic. <laughs> yeah, there was a picture of her with Ashley Graham, who is a plus size model. That yes. uh, I, she was on the cover of Sports Illustrated, or, yes. or I forget what magazine. And uh, yes. so you're both a feminist in a way, in a, in a powerful way, not in the, the stereotypical way. You're about women's rights. Both of you are. I heard an interview from you where you mentioned that 11% of the creative directors are female, but that number was 3% not so long ago. So there's kind of a discrepancy in that number, but that's way too low. Right? Well, it's unbelievable, unbelievable, right? Yeah, it's yeah. unbelievable. So this really, um, really wonderful woman, Kat Gordon, actually, you should talk to her too, started mm-hmm. an organization called the 3% Conference, now called the 3% Movement. And it was started uh, roughly a decade ago when truly of the creative directors in ad agencies, 3% were women. And you're right. It's probably, it's maybe even crept up a little bit beyond 11% at this point in 2020, but it's kind of a shocking number. Well, I I, I guess in the world as we live, maybe it isn't shocking. It's too bad. And certainly Mm. one of the real uh, discrepancies is needless to say, um, women are responsible for 80% of purchases made in, in yeah, uh, in some way, Way or another, uh, whether they influence, whether they actually decide, whether they actually purchase. So it just feels like a mismatch there, right? Um, so yeah, 3% movement, an incredible and and meaningful, important organization that's hopefully shifting, shifting mm-hmm. that that reality. Well, if you go out to buy a razor, if a razor is marketed towards women, it's a pink razor, yes. it's more expensive yes. than the ones that's marketed to men. And yes. it's the same razor, just different color. Right. And it's more expensive. And it's more expensive, right. And yeah. I don't even like pink, so it doesn't really, I'd rather buy the men's razor. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. But, you know, the thing that's so incredible, Gillian is um, obviously, you know, somehow gray hairs become c- cool. And it's, I think, mm-hmm. really because of her. And it's yeah. very, very powerful. <laughs> Speaking of, on Halloween, I dressed up as a skeleton and uh, I put white haired wax. And I loved the white, by the way. So I'm <laughs> yeah. looking forward to <laughs> So Libby, you, you've had so many accomplishments and you've had children. I, I think, you, I mean, I would assume that you would say having children is one of your greatest accomplishments. Talk to us about your children and how they're doing. No. Yeah, I would say it's uh, less of an accomplishment because I really, mm. you know, I, I'm certainly n- not always good at this, but I think that, that one of the best things we as parents can do is try and identify what really, you know, makes your kids uh, sparkle and and mm. then get out of their way. So I don't know, you know, accomplishment sounds like I had a lot to do with it. I'm not. I mean, obviously, <laughs> I, I'm not. I, you know, I'm not sure I did. I think they they are their own mm. accomplishment. I would say it was a privilege to be a parent. So yeah, they're you know both incredible. Uh, I happen to be about six feet tall. They're they're tall and wonderful, articulate, mm. thoughtful, you know, being raised by feminist is, you know, mm. um, yeah, I think a interesting place to be in 2020 for young men. I want to talk about how the Asian culture generally, it's, it's a big push for academics. It's keep your head down, move forward, shut your mouth, regimented type of upbringing. And that's how I was raised. Mm-hmm. And the more I hear you talking about the free range, it, it's a complete opposite. 
But I'm not saying one's right or one's wrong, but I think it's the way I will raise my children in the future is to kind of use both aspects of that, of the way I was brought up. The more I hear about allowing your children to find their dreams, find their passions, like that sounds so great to me. Yeah, well, I bet you did, despite the fact that, you know, you got there in a different path. I think there's probably many ways to get get to that. You're right. Mm -hmm. There is no right and wrong. I mean, who the heck knows how to parent? And every every individual, every person requires a different set of tools to be used to help guide. And I think the thing that's interesting about being a mom of 20-somethings is at what point do you become a counselor versus a parent or a mentor Mm -hmm. or a... You know, you're no longer a call it a manager. You now are. You're certainly not a peer, but it, that's an interesting shift. Because Amy Poehler's character in Mean Girls <laughs> yeah, right. has not. Been <laughs> no, no, I, not nope. <laughs> <laughs> she wears juicy pants and drinks with her teenage daughter. Teenage, so, yeah. That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> the question that I ask all my guests, and I'm very interested to see what you would say. Uh, we all have failures and we all fall uh, figuratively and we get up and we try to get up and and hopefully you're stronger because of that. Uh, Can you talk about a moment in your life, professional or personal, that you failed at something? You know, what lessons you've learned on the other side of that? Yeah, it's a it's a really good question. I would say the reality is, and maybe I've come to understand this really, you know, loop back to the morning walk is, I mean, quite honestly, to be perfectly frank, I feel I feel like I fail every single, every single day around something. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it, Are the little quote unquote failures more monumental or more meaningful? Or, I mean, it's all meaningful. I mean, here's the thing about mm-hmm. failure. Honestly, there really is no such thing. All the steps that feel and look like failure, they're required to, for learning. Yeah. You know, curiosity's fueled and nourished by failure. Actually, I feel like I feel like failure needs a rebrand. Um, we somehow think it's bad when, in fact, I you know I would argue it's essential. It's really it's like a learning it, opportunity. It is. You know, the difference yeah. between success and failure is really just a decision to keep trying. Is the way I view it. Mm. You know, failure has a function. You know, failure basically looks you in the eye and says, "Do you want to keep going?" And if your answer is no, I don't want to keep going, that's information, right? So, and it may just be guiding you more clearly back to what's really meaningful for you, right? So I guess, you know, I I fail every single fucking day, all the time Mm -hmm. um, in interactions and conversations, choosing the wrong word, wearing too few layers as I go out for a walk. I mean, it's all Mm -hmm. around. And I guess what I've really tried to embrace is this notion that, you know, as I said, it's essential. It's really a, a component of our days and our lives that's required. And I think it's interesting that we've, you know, somehow it's become, you know, it has this sort of aura of being bad. And, and I get mm-hmm. that. And yet at the same time, I think it's time for that to shift. There certainly are some failures that feel bad, but mm-hmm. are they in fact bad do they have a bad impact on our life? Yeah, they can feel bad, but <laughs> so I guess I uh, it's hard to pinpoint one. You know. So would you say that Donald Trump failed as president? Fuck yeah, <laughs> hell yes, <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Oh my god, <laughs> uh, absolute tragedy. But I think we're on the good path now. I think we're headed in the right direction. <laughs> yeah. 
in my mind, I'm going to rebrand the word failure. Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, I would say, you know, there, I, I went totally gray when I was in my early 30s. I can't tell you how many people said, oh my gosh, you, you know, you'll never be successful if you have gray hair. And I just, so that was portrayed to me as some kind of professional failure. I mean, I'm really reaching here, but in a way it's, uh, <laughs> I, I don't want to say my gray hair is a failure, but it's interesting how people portray for you um, or project onto a situation, something that they think for you is a failure. So for somebody that has so much wisdom and experience as you do, I, I would be remiss to not ask you to, if you had any advice for younger people that want to get into advertising or PR or strategy, if you have any advice for them, you know, whether they're in school or they're out of school, I know today is a tough period with the pandemic. People are going to school via Zoom. But just in general, do you have some totally. advice for them? I'm yeah. sure they would love to hear some. Yeah, no, it's uh, um, it's an important question because I, you know, certainly, I mean, I don't, I don't even think I'd be qualified to get into the industry now if I were applying, to be perfectly honest. It's so, so many talented people, so much good work going on. So my recommendation always is to find a nonprofit that you are really, that you really feel strongly about. It could be anything. I mean, truly anything. Reach a a place that you have a you know, strong sense about reach out to them and offer Mm. your services. And it doesn't have to be forever. It could be for six months. It could be for a campaign. It could be. And I think what you'll find is these are organizations that are really, really searching for support, for help, for people with the kind of talent that designers or writers or strategists have. And so not only do you get to do real work, I mean, in, in that world, if you're offering to help, most likely mm-hmm. the work that you do will get produced or will get created, mm-hmm. right? I mean, yeah. what happens in school is you're doing a lot of work that is thoughtful. Hypothetical. And, yeah, yeah, but it's all practice, right? So the thing about these nonprofits is they're all looking for support. Your work will actually get produced and you get a real life experience with clients having to navigate the ins and outs, ups and downs around the corner of working with uh, a client. So it might be reach out, commit to six months of, I don't know, call it three or four hours a week of whatever you can help Mm -hmm. with. And then you have things for your portfolio. And you have potentially have a client who able to give you a recommendation, who can be a reference. So that would be my recommendation is, is find that place. You know, it could be really anything, uh, you know, an animal shelter. It could be a sanctuary. Mm-hmm. It could be a- anything that... Um, is really meaningful to you. An organization like the Jean Geiger Crisis Centers is something that yeah. you give your time to. I do. Aren't you wonderful? Yes. That's a, a local agency committed to ending domestic violence. So yeah, I think we should all contribute in <laughs> contribute our talents to those kinds of organizations. So. so Libby, you're so gracious with your time with me this morning. I want to give you the floor for whatever you want to talk about, what you have coming up next, or give a, a message that you want to give the general audience. I want to give you the floor to uh, just oh, aren't, yeah, aren't you lovely? Well, I, uh, you know, I guess if you have, if you are at all inspired by going for a walk in the morning, uh, feel free to join me. <laughs> uh, send me a little note. Come on over to Park here. Park is my middle name. And send a message. I love hearing when people are out and about. I'm, 
I'm glad you went for one this morning. Um, and I'm also, you know, s- super happy if somebody reaches out and would like some little bit of time to talk through, look at their portfolio. So I'm happy to do that as well. Yeah. Mentorship is so important these it days. Is. Thank you so much for offering that. I'm sure uh, people will respond for sure. Yeah, so. of course. Libby, be safe. Happy Thanksgiving. Yeah. So we're taping this uh, on a Tuesday, Thanksgiving week. I hope you stay safe. We'll meet someday on a walk. I would love it. I, that would be absolutely <laughs> terrific. Thank you for this great, great conversation and you great. as well. Stay safe. 